so so this article is kind of playing with that like yes you are enough to be loved inf- you know incredibly by the god of the universe but don't ever think you are enough in and of yourself uh to be sufficient on your own i think eugene peterson has this idea of like we have to get to where we recognize our essential poverty that are not enoughness that we don't have enough on our own um which is ultimately great news because we were never meant to be enough on our own That was Carolyn Ahrens, and this is the Things Above podcast. Well, my guest today is Carolyn Ahrens, and I'm so excited that she is with us today. I've known Carolyn a long time. She uh, used to tour with Rich Mullins, and Rich Mullins back in the day said to me, you need to get to know her. And I ran the chapel back in the day, And so I invited her to come do chapel at Friends University, and she did, and I got to meet her and had her back again and have gotten to know her and stayed in contact through the years. And she's more than just a singer-songwriter, although that's important. She has released 12 albums and is the author of three critically acclaimed books. Fifteen of Carolyn's songs have become top 10 radio singles on the Canadian pop and U.S. Christian charts. And Carolyn has earned two Dove Awards, three Juno nominations, and was recognized as the West Coast Music Awards Songwriter of the Year. And she's a great writer. Her press, her uh, prose has been recognized, and uh, she tours. She's written for Christianity Today. She used to write the back page of that, Faith Today, CT Women. Uh, I, I, if I keep going on, she's going to get a big head, and you're going to get tired of hearing this audience because she's done so many things. But currently, Carolyn is the Director of Education for Renovare, a ministry near and dear to my heart that I got to be privileged to help start many years ago. And it's a huge organization that does incredible stuff, resources, nurturing spiritual renewal. And she uh, does speaking, retreat facilitation, concerts, all that stuff. She's already tired of this intro. Carolyn, thank you for being here today on the Things About Podcast. Thank you, Jim. It has been way too long since we've gotten to hang out. So It has has been a while. Yeah, I remember we had I we had breakfast or Danishes and coffee somewhere, and we had a great conversation a few years back. But, yeah. um, but I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing now with Renovare and still continuing to write. And your blogs are amazing. Um, but just because our listeners, we talk about Rich Mullins a fair amount. What is what was the connection you had with Rich back in the day? Well, you know, it's I just started out as a huge fan. Uh, I as as a a young Christian singer songwriter who tended to write from kind of a quirky perspective. Rich was kind of my patron saint. You know, there was this guy out there writing, writing about the maker of noses and, um, you know, just with this fresh take on things. So I just absolutely loved his work, was so inspired by it. It was the reason why when I did a record deal, I did it with Reunion because that was Rich's home. And so I figured that was a good place to be. And then I didn't know that. Yeah. And then as just this kind of wet behind the ears kid, as my first album was coming out, uh, I remember having this meeting with Rich and and, um, his manager, Gay, and them saying, all right, do you want to do you want to come out as the opening act? And me feeling like, is this is this real life? Is this actually happening? (laughs) And uh, yeah, so the very first the very first tour I ever did was opening uh, for Rich, which was a tremendous gift then. And then, you know, in hindsight, uh, 
that time has become even more precious because it was only about 18 months before Rich's passing. And uh, yeah, just an incredible gift to to get to know him a bit and to kind of have my uh, journey as as a as a musician framed by the way he approached things, which was very different from how a lot of other people in the industry approached um, a music career. So I'll be forever grateful. Mm, that is so cool. And I'm forever grateful too, that he got connected to us by saying, Hey, you need to have this, this, uh, this young woman, Carolyn Aaron, she's really, really good. And, uh, and uh, you know, I definitely can see as a, through the years, even more so why he thought that of you, because your lyrics are also really, I mean, they're poetry, they're, there's depth, there's a lot to them. You're not just singing na 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 Jesus. I don't know that that's 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 a bad criticism of some Christian music. Just say Jesus every once in a while, and it's Christian. But mm-hmm. your, your the, the depths of your lyrics, which I'm excited for today, because I would like to, if you're okay, to look at three of your songs, and I, I've picked the three I want to talk about, and have our listeners listen to along the way. Is and and you're okay with that? Yes, absolutely. Yes. That okay. will be fun. Yes. Wasn't too long a pause. And then you're <laughs> such a good writer. And uh, Wrestling with Angels, one of my favorites. Uh, but I thought, I mean, that, that book is one of my favorites. But I thought, I've been reading some of your blogs over the last year, and um, there were three of them that really um, stood out to me. And I thought, wow, I want to pick her brain. And they also connect with this podcast because they're, they're, uh, they're ways to connect with the idea of, of a narrative. We talk a lot about narrative on this podcast. Yeah. Um, our, we, we live at the mercy of our ideas, as, as Dallas said. So yep. um, I think we'll just do that. How about that? We'll talk about some of your, your written work and some of your musical work. And I think that will be fun for our listeners. I would love to be honest. Oh, right. All right. And you are Canadian. So the, if listeners haven't already picked it up, you don't really have an accent, do you? Or do you? I- it's variable, you know, it, it depends who I'm talking to. But I, when I get, I'm told that when I get very fired up about something, that's when things like A show up. So we'll, mm-hmm. we'll just see how this goes. I may become we'll more Canadian as the, as the <laughs> interview goes. We'll see. And you are in what province? Where are you? I'm in uh, just outside of Vancouver in British Columbia. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Vancouver is such a beautiful, it's like heaven. On Earth, I just love it, Vancouver. I've been there not, three times. It's not bad. Yeah, it's not works. bad. I like that. It's not, it's not bad. <laughs> no, Vancouver's okay. You've just got yeah. this mountain that you can see from the sea, and you can see people like sailing yeah. and skiing at the same time. It's a crazy, it's beautiful, beautiful place. It's a pretty good it's really deal. Cool. You're right. It is. Yeah. All right, a. Here we go. All right, so, a. Uh, so, <laughs> so the. Uh, a blog that's, that I really liked, an article you wrote that stood out to me was called Getting Our Stories Straight with the subtitle, How What We Believe Shapes Our Experience of Reality. And right away I thought, okay, that's, that's huge, you know, getting our stories straight. I, I wrote a book called The Magnificent Story. Talk a lot about that we live, uh, we're storying people, we're storied creatures, we live by stories, we're shaped by stories. But, you know, then I, I read your, and I didn't see it coming, like where you were going with it. So, for the listeners, explain basically the story you tell um, about being in the hospital and and what you learned from that. Yeah. So the, the story I tell is um, my daughter, Beth, Beth just turned 19. So this happened 19 years ago now. 
when I was giving birth to her, the birth went really well, but immediately afterwards I started to hemorrhage and I had to get whisked away uh, in, very swiftly to the operating room to deal with that, to stop the bleeding. And so they put me under very quickly. And the next memory I have is, I don't know how many hours it was after the operation, but I was, uh, you know, anybody who's ever been under a general anesthetic, you're very, you don't have any idea where you are, or what's right. going on as you're coming out. And um, I remember a nurse uh, coming into my room I think it was the middle of the night, thrusting this baby into my arms, saying baby needs mama and walking out and me like not even being sure, like, who is this baby? Who am I? What is happening? <laughs> but sort of, you know, gradually crawling my way to consciousness and going, oh, yeah, right. I had a baby. This is my baby. And um, being able to kind of hold on to her and snuggle her. But I've always for years and years and years, I've remembered that and thought, you know, what? What an incompetent nurse. I could have dropped the baby. I, you know, I could have, uh, I was so out of it. What, what on earth was she thinking? And so for years, I've, I've even told other people the story about this incompetent nurse who did this incredibly dangerous thing of giving this unconscious woman her new baby. And then uh, about a year ago, I was talking with uh, our mutual friend, Chris Hall, uh, Renovari's president. The wonderful Chris Hall. The wonderful Chris Hall. We call, him, we call him Abba Chris, uh, although he has a new, very long COVID beard. And so sometimes we call him <laughs> Abba Chris and sometimes we call him Bubba Chris and, you know, just, just depending. <laughs> but he's a wonderful guy. And, uh, but he was saying that he had recently found out that when he was born, um, due to some medical complications, he couldn't be with his mom the first several days of his uh, new life, and that he thought it explained a, an issue of anxiety that he had dealt with growing up, that he had been reading some research about that, you know, sometimes you just can't help it. Babies and moms can't be together, and um, uh, and that had been the case for him, but that this can lead to uh, anxiety. And as soon as he told me that, this thing that had happened with this nurse and my newborn Beth completely flipped. And I thought, oh, thank, you know, thank the Lord that this nurse had the state of mind to go. It's really important that this baby be with her mom as soon as possible. As soon, and, and so, you know, this nurse that who for at that point, 17 years had been, you know, the reckless nurse who endangered the baby suddenly morphed into the heroic nurse who facilitated essential bonding, you know, like the story just completely flipped. And um, so, yeah, so that story got me thinking about, and frankly, your work has helped me think tremendously about this, about how the stories we tell ourselves, uh, our narratives um, you know, shape our experience of reality. And, um, and, and that writ is writ large in our understanding of who God is and then how, our, how we understand our dealings with him. A absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and let me just read a little from your, your article here. Uh, again, it's called Getting Our Story Straight, How We Believe Shapes Our Experience of Reality. If folks want to look that up. But um, here, here, there's so many things I like, but you're right. <clears throat> That's the tricky thing about the stories we tell ourselves because we're living inside them. They are hard to detect. And I think that's true. What I've learned about narrative is once we've adopted a narrative, they largely go untested. Like we don't, once we've adopted them, 
we spend the rest of our lives, and I've done this all this study on narrative therapy. And yeah. one of the things that they talk about is is that once we have a narrative, we're we're largely uncritical of it until our life goes really badly. Like unless there's some interruption, we spend the rest of our lives just reinforcing the narrative. So when we encounter um, a counter narrative, something that's against it. Um, we, we tend to go, well, I'm going to discredit that. And then I'm going to reinforce, uh, the narrative that I have. And that's why it's so hard to know about them. And that's why I love what you write. They're hard to detect. And so as I read yours, I thought, well, what Chris did was Chris offered a counter narrative. He, he said, here's, here's another way to look at that story. And then I love how you put it. You flipped the story. You, you were able to kind of tell a, a different story. And I think that's, crucial on so many levels. I think about our faith journey and I think about Jesus using the word metanoia uh, for we translate it repent, but it literally means change your mind. Meta change, noia, noose is mind. And Jesus, the master of it all, he said, metanoia, change your mind. The kingdom is here. And then you always have to ask the question, if anybody tells you to change your mind, why are they doing that? Well, because your mind is wrong. So when he says repent or metanoia, change your mind, the kingdom's here because people didn't think it was here. So I'm kind of curious to ask this, and maybe this is a, 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 a difficult one. Take your time if you need. But what are some other key narrative flips that you've had uh, along the way? Uh, I've had a bunch myself. Certainly a lot of my God narratives were really bad. And yeah. I had to bump into like Brandon Manning and discussions I had with Rich. Rich and I sat up for a year at night talking and I wrote a book called Embracing the Love of God from that because my narrative had to flip about God loving us. But were some were there some narratives for you along the way that were also needed to be flipped or changed? Yeah, that is a great question. I think, you know, uh, the biggest one, of course, is, is who we understand uh, God to be. And, and I want to mention as an aside that that is that is so critical. You know, I have the privilege of overseeing the Renovari Institute, where we do two two years. You know, similar to the Apprentice Institute, it's two years of a deep dive into formation. But we start with your book, Good and Beautiful God, because is it? I I forget who said. Maybe it was William Temple who said, if you know, if your picture of God is off, then the more religious you become, the worse you will become. Yeah. You know? Oh, I like that. I've got to use that. Yeah, you know, so if if it's like you're starting off course already. So for me, when I when I that's where my mind goes when you ask me about uh, narratives because it's so fundamental and it's where everything else starts. And I do think I was really fortunate in that my primary picture of God was I had on my wall in my bedroom growing up. Um, uh, a, a picture of, uh, you know, probably from the children's storybook Bible. So it's not great art um, and it's way too Western and all that kind of stuff. But what was right about it, it was a picture of Jesus with kids on his lap and, and it was love all the way down. And mm. so that's huge. But I think I was having some trouble probably marrying um, God, the son with God, the father, and sometimes pitted them against each other. I'm sure you've talked about this on this oh, podcast that's a lot, huge. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause it's a, it's a chronic problem. So yeah, one of my narratives has been figuring out that God is love all the way down, you know, that in all three persons, father, mm-hmm. son, and, and spirit. Um, and, and sort of being able to confess that, um, with my mouth for many years, but I think we, we, 
because we're often not love all the way down, <laughs> it's, yes. it's so hard for us to believe that there is a being who really is. And so, you know, just paying attention to um, how I react in times of, of stress and who, who, how I'm relating to God in times of stress, whether I'm, I'm trying to maybe appease him. Or, you know, if I find myself in, in a narrative of trying to appease God or make deals with God, then I realize, oh, there's still work to be done. Um, my narrative still needs to be flipped that God is with and for me and and good all the way down. So I don't know if that's a very precise answer. Well, to no, your it's question. a big one. It's a big one, Carolyn, because and I do talk about that on this podcast a lot because we tend to uh, isolate the Trinity and separate them. And I, I, I always quote John 14, 9 where Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like they're, yeah. they're, You can't separate them. And, and for many of us, our, even our gospel is God's really mad. God the Father's mad and Jesus took your beating right. and as if they're at odds. And so that that's was a huge one for me to look at John 14, 9 and go, no, every time you see the, Jesus acting, it's, it's the Father as well. It's the same thing. Right. And so crucial. Let me also quote the, the last paragraph in the article. And as you write this, there are no uninterpreted facts, no unnarrated experiences. But if we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, he'll use sources, scripture, creeds, scholarship, conversations with friends, attentiveness to our own experience, slow realizations and sudden epiphanies to help us get our stories straight. And that fits nicely with what you were just saying, because the Holy Spirit's job is to lead us into truth. We learn that in John's gospel. And that's been my experience is that the, I get these nudges. I get these, it's people, you know, it's conversations. I mean, I, I, can, I can name conversations that I had with people that were epiphanies, that were sudden realizations, uh, uh, sudden epiphanies or slow realizations, as you put it, that help us get our story straight. And that's just crucial. And I think, I, know, I mean, that's what you're doing as a writer and it's what you do in your songs. And it's when we love a song or something, um, it, it's because it's helping get our story straight. I mean, mm -hmm. I had a friend who, uh, who th that Casey Musgrave song about the rainbow, you know, that was the uh -huh. big Grammy <laughs> things. Yeah. And a friend of mine told me that she listened to the song like 10 times a day, every day. And I thought, why? Well, because it's speaking some sort of truth, right? That there's yeah. always, what's the line? There's always been a rainbow hanging yeah. over your head or something. And somehow that was, you know, helped get a story straight for her. And anyway, yeah. um, speaking of songs, yes. so let's start out with Seize the Day. And um, well, I'm not going to say anything. Let's just play some of it for our listeners. And then um, I'm going to ask you some questions about it. Is that okay? Sounds your good. game? Let's go. just this world on a novel most every day If you laugh she will say Seize the day Seize whatever you can Cause life slips away just like hourglasses Seize the day Stand in your way Seize the day La-dee-da-dee-da La-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee
Is that one of your most popular songs, by the way? Is that Seize the Day is, it is one of your most well-known? It seems to be, yeah. You know, it's one, one of those songs that kind of went out in the world and got a life of its own, and it, it got used a lot at graduations and missionary commissionings and things like that, which is so mm. so neat. Kind of kind of blows me away. But yeah, it it seems to be one of the better one known better known ones for sure. Yeah, it's catchy. It just gets and it's got a great message. But let me just ask this. So what's the backstory? What where did it come from? I always like that to when I hear an artist talk about where did that thing emerge? Yeah. Well now we are going we're going to the Smithsonian. We're going to uh history from long ago because the song actually August 15th of this year was the 25 year anniversary of that first album coming out that had seized the day on it. So wow. we're, we're, right at a, we're right at a quarter century anniversary. And I always like to clarify that, you know, I was seven when it came out. I was going to say, you're Just, only yeah. what a prodigy, <laughs> like Mozart. <laughs> but uh, the, how that song got birthed was, uh, my husband Mark and I were on our honeymoon, and uh, eight, we got married in '89, and that was the summer that Dead Poets Society came out. And uh, so we went on our honeymoon to see the movie Dead Poets Society, which of course quotes the Cavalier poets who had this idea, Carpe Diem, seize the day. And I remember loving the movie, but also having this deep sense of unsettledness with kind of its ultimate message, because the message was. Uh, seize the day because once you're done, you're done, then you're food for worms. And I got to thinking, okay, wait, I totally resonate with this seize the day idea. You know, years later, I would hear that Mary Oliver poem, what are you going to do with your one wild and precious life? You know, I, yep, I love, love that line. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's, let's not waste it. But it's not because once you die, you're food for worms. It's because you are a, it, 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 an internal being you know, with an, with an infinite right. destiny. And, and if what, you know, if what we do with our one wild and fleeting life counts in God's economy, it counts for forever. So I kind of, you know, um, got all stirred up in my spirit and wanted to kind of write a manifesto um, about that. And so it's, it's already a long song. I think there's four verses, but in its original iteration, I think there were about 17 verses, uh, you know, all these different, uh, case studies and scenarios and different ways that people might be, um, seizing the day and eventually whittled it down to four and, and uh, got it out there in the world. So in some ways it's a, it's a response to, to uh, the Dead Poet Society, Carpe Diem, the Latin seize the day. It's a response to that idea that, well, seize the day because you're just going to be, you know, dead forever. So just seize what's now. You are connecting it to, and we have quoted Dallas a lot with, you're an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. Yes. So it's a response in some ways. And I, I, mean, I just have to ask this first, because I've, I've heard a lot of artists you know, and of, all, of all kinds, not just musicians, but a lot of our work, our art, is is a, a reaction, response, rebuttal, whatever, to something else. So it, it's interesting yeah. that it might have come out of you. You heard that message and thought, yeah, but here's my take. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, that's right. And, and I think you're absolutely right that all, just about all of our work is in conversation with or response to or rebuttal to something else. And and an important aside to that is when when – we read uh, when we read old books. Sometimes I forget. I think we forget that they're probably responding to something else. 
And so, um, it, you know, reading, it's so important to have context around people's work, I think is what I'm trying to say. But yes, that song was written in response, um, a yeah, but to the Cavalier Poet idea and the way it was expressed more contemporarily in um, the Poet Society. Well, it's a wonderful song and so much to it. Well, speaking of of a, a counter narrative or a response to something else, I also really loved your article uh, or blog called You Are Not Enough. Subtitle is Resisting the Pathology of Self-Sufficiency. And, you know, so much of what we hear now, there there is kind of a, a self-esteem movement that, yeah. and a lot of songs like, you know, Christina Aguilera is telling us we're beautiful no matter what people say. And there's oh, there's a ton of songs about uh, scars to your beautiful. I mean, there's this, you're beautiful, yeah. you're beautiful, you're beautiful. And, uh, <laughs> or, and, and uh, so I, I was reading this article and I went, okay. And it really resonated with me. And I'll say a little bit more in a minute, but give, give our listeners the, the uh, thumbnail sketch of, of what you're, what you're doing there and what you, the conclusion you reached. Right. Well, I mean, and this is tricky ground to walk because human beings are beautiful. Their value, their value is beyond measure. And this, this very popular idea of you are enough, you know, the first time I ever encountered it, I was the speaker at a woman's retreat and there was a, um, uh, an actress gave this uh, kind of monologue uh, at one point in the evening, and she was portraying this very, very harried, very stressed out mother. And and uh, the whole piece kind of worked to this culmination of "You Are Enough," and all the women in the room were crying and cheering, and you know, and 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 it was another one of those yeah buts like I had with the um, the poet society because in one in one sense that is a wonderful thing to say to someone because we are each one of us a beloved image bearer of God and our, our worth is incalculable and we don't have to do anything to make God love us. You know, we are, it's enough that we're alive and he made us and we bear his image and he loves us immeasurably. So in, on one hand, it couldn't be more true, but my concern about it is that I feel like it, it does push an idea of self-sufficiency. And I think self-sufficiency is our number one idol and it's completely toxic to us. I don't think we were Mm. ever meant to be self-sufficient. We were meant to abide in Christ. And um, so, so this article is kind of playing with that, like, yes, you are enough to be loved, you know, incredibly by the God of the universe, but don't ever think you are enough in and of yourself uh, to be sufficient on your own. I think Eugene Peterson has this idea of like, we have to get to where we recognize our essential poverty, that our not enoughness, that we don't have enough on our own, um, which is ultimately great news because we were never meant to be enough on our own. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And it's, it's, uh, I love that it's a response to that because, and, and on this podcast quite often, you know, I'll, I'll make a really big point and then always say, but here's a caveat, you know, because right. when you say something quite often, you also have to say, well, now let's be careful because there's another aspect. And I love that because we are these, you know, the God's beloved to use Henry Nouwen's line. We are yeah. immortal diamonds to use Richard Rohr's phrase. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm the one who's loved Thomas Merton. So I, that's all true. It is. And yet there is the, another part of our narrative as Christians is, well, I love how you you put it this way. 
As surely as we are unshakably loved, we are also undeniably bent, which, yeah. which is you can't take away um, the doctrine of sin. You can't take away the, the reality that I can say, yes, I'm a, I'm a beloved child of God. And yet at the same time, I have feet of clay, I'm broken, I'm incomplete, I'm insufficient. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, and it's, yeah. it's honestly, it's too heavy a burden to bear to think that we have to become enough in and of ourselves, you know, that, that we have to somehow fix ourselves or, um, heal ourselves until we're enough on ourselves. So this, you know, this thing that's meant to relieve our burden can sometimes increase our, our burden, but, mm-hmm. and, and to say in response to the, that line about, being that we're as much as we're beloved, we're bent. Uh, back to Chris Hall again. He's going to make his second appearance in this podcast. <laughs> um, we sometimes teach together on the nature of the human person, and it's hilarious because I I'm usually the one really trying to uh, you know I'll read from Life of the Beloved by Henry now, and you know you must hear this. You are beloved. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make you uh, God love you. Uh, less. I, but then Chris will come up and say, you are incredibly bent and you need, you know, you need, um, <laughs> uh, the good news is that, that Jesus can help you get unbent. And so we started t- calling our talks deeply loved and deeply bent or deeply beloved and deeply bent. And both things are true. And both things are ultimately good news because they mean we don't have to be enough on our own. And, and that, uh, you know, as the apostle Paul says, uh, in my, in our not enoughness, that's where God is sufficient. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, <laughs> I mean, if there's one narrative that, uh, gets, uh, put up the flagpole more than any other on this podcast, it's, it's the phrase, I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. Love that. I think that, I think that narrative fits both sides because he does, mm-hmm. you know, he, he loves and delights in us, but I, my completeness is in Christ. Like right. if I, Jim, apart from Christ, is walking in sarks in the flesh. I'm on my own, and I'm, and that's so much pressure, as you said. Yeah. But the good news is there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that is my completion. Uh, yeah. To now I'm, now I'm all going all Jerry Maguire, right? You complete me. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how in the world I went to that movie reference right now. Christ, it works. It works. We're, yeah, we're bent and broken, sinful, whatever term you want to use. And yeah. yet, it, in Christ, we become enough, right? More, more yeah. than enough in Christ. Enough. Yeah. So, good, good stuff. Wow, I, that's I, I love that. And that must have been a little bit courageous to do it too, right? I mean, yeah. To, well, and again, I don't want to undermine the the good. There's something right and good about about that statement. But yeah, I think you know, you know how it is as a as a writer. Uh, whether it's songs or, or words, part of our job is to kind of like poke at things and and um, and keep chasing the truth. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Another song. Let's listen to another song. This one's New Year's Day. So we'll listen to a little bit of New Year's Day and then uh, I'll ask some of those questions again.
Okay, Carolyn, love that song. You are rocking on that song, <laughs> and I love it. Uh, so New Year's Day, what's the backstory with this song? Right, so so we're still going back a ways. This this one was from my second album, and it was it was my rock my rock album where I got to plug in for a little bit. Generally, I'm pretty folky, but that one we plugged in for. Uh, and this song comes from you know I'm kind of the I really am the queen of new leafs and New Year's resolutions and you know, my, my rule of life is a spreadsheet and there's columns and check boxes and, um, and then, you know, um, it never, it never takes for as long as I want it to. And so I can be very prone to discouragement. And that song came out of, uh, you know, reading Lamentations, that, that classic verse that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And kind of this epiphany of, you know, what? actually every morning can be New Year's Day. Every morning is a, is a uh, fresh crack at this because of, of grace. And, you know, years later when I got more involved in um, spiritual formation as a formal kind of um, area of pursuit, uh, one of the things that I have had to learn over and over and over again is um, something I think James Houston said, which is that spiritual formation is the slowest of all human movements. Mm. Like It just takes time, you know, it just takes time. And that God is, I think transforming us um, as fast as he can without kind of breaking us, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, the best metaphor for me, we started with a, with a pregnancy story. So let's go back there. That the best metaphor for me is, you know, as, as fast as I would like, I've, I've been pregnant, carried two babies to term and those 40 weeks seem like an eternity and you want it to go fast or desperately, especially the, the final months. But mm-hmm. if you went from, uh, you know, fertilization to full ge- gestation in a day, you would literally explode. Like you're, you know, <laughs> you, you you really would, you know, like you need the nine months to be able to, for your body to be able to make the gradual changes necessary in order to carry new life, uh, growing new life. And um, that is the way the spiritual life is. It, God for the most part, works incrementally, because if you went too fast, we would explode. I really believe that. And so New Year's Day in retrospect now is like, yeah, every day there can be a little bit of growth and probably just the right amount of growth for what we can handle. And um, yeah, so so the perspective back then was like, oh man, I make these lists and then I fail and I'm glad for grace. And the perspective now is uh, every day is this New Year's Day with God because his grace is new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. And he's doing just the right amount of work into me in me today that I can handle. Mm, that's good. That is so good. Yeah. And you you quoted James Houston, who I love, but also uh, reminded me of Dallas's uh, statement, our souls are massive and they grow slowly. Yes. And we yes. just do. It's just a, it's a long journey. We want to overnight, be different, be changed, be better. And we do mark certain events. And and there are turning points for people. People for sure. have days they remember their sobriety birthday or the day they, they gave their life to Christ. Or, and yep. we do have those days. Yep. But so much of our lives are, um, I mean, Rich, would, Rich Mullins would talk about that. It's just there's so much ordinary. And I think about mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the, the liturgical calendar. That yeah. the ordinary time, which is what, as we're recording this, we're in right now, ordinary yep. time, we've got Advent and people know, you know, Lent and, mm-hmm. and obviously Christmas and Pentecost and Easter and all these, the big ones. 
but 33 weeks out of the year are ordinary time. Isn't that great that it's just called ordinary time? I love it. I mean, I love it. <laughs> more than half of the year was like, this is just ordinary. You know, it's just, yeah. Yeah. it's not, not a big one, but it's another day. And that's, yeah. that's so good. Love that song and love to hear you rocking out. Um, <laughs> all right, well, let's go back to um, uh, your writing, not not music. I guess it's writing your, your lyrics or writing, but your your prose, as they say. Uh, Listen to the Groans. It's a more recent one. Uh, yeah. I think you wrote this one during this season, right? Um, with what's happening on uh, with in our country, in our world right now, certainly in America, but even in, obviously you felt it in Canada, I'm sure as well. We did. But yeah. uh, Listen to the Groans subtitle is What Cries for Justice, What What Cries for Justice Tell Us About God's Plans. So tell us about this one. This was obviously, you know, George Floyd's, what happened in Minnesota, but Tell us what's going on here. Well, it started with, you know, it it is the, the uh, catalyst for this column was, was the murder of George Floyd and um, how incredibly difficult it was to watch video of this kind of his slow dying and his, his groaning. Uh, And it reminded me in a real visceral and honestly painful way of um, uh, in about 20 2009, 2010, my mom had um, cancer and, um, and the treatment for it was so aggressive and she was in uh, so much pain during that time when she was having chemo and radiation. And I would, I'd be outside the bathroom door waiting to help her. And I would hear her, she would go in the bathroom to groan. So to, to, so to, to try to not have us hear it, but I would hear it. And so the, there's something about groaning, a difficult thing to talk about, but there's something about groaning that is just um, absolute, the gut level of our pain, yeah, of human pain. And so I was thinking about George's uh, groans. I was thinking about my mom's groans and I started remembering, um, I'm guessing, you know, Trevor Hudson. Yeah, of course. You know yeah. Great South okay. African. Love him. Yeah. Incredible he's so Christ-like. Stuff. Just I, I, I just I feel like I'm around Jesus when I'm with Trevor. He's so. I great. know that's a very, very commonly expressed thing. Yeah, he's. I think he's a real spiritual giant. Uh, but um, I had heard a few years ago um, I had Trevor up in Vancouver for something, and he had preached this message called, and it was called "Listen to the Groans," and it was on Romans eight twenty two twenty seven. And it was looking at uh, the three groans that are in that passage in Romans 8. There's the groaning of all of creation, you know, this this longing for the world to be set right, for it to be as God intended. Then there's our own inward groaning, the groans of our heart. And then most mysteriously, there are the groans of God, the groans of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. And so this piece that you're referencing was, kind of starting with that oh, that visceralness of human pain, racial injustice, our own suffering and pain of people that we love, and working that through this lens of, of you know, God in his word, first of all, acknowledging that pain, and then somehow participating in it. And so that's what I'm, that's what I'm grappling with in that column. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, let me just read this portion. Many people see the injustice in the world as a reason to give up on faith. But the irony is when we decry just injustice, our hearts resonate with the heart of God more than we can possibly imagine. And I really, I, I love that because, you know, I think during this season for me, 
it's it's this it's this period of darkness, and I um and I talked about on this on the podcast about um the dark night of the soul and Saint John of the Cross saying our, our faith shines brightest in the darkness, right? Bright flows mm-hmm. the river of God in the dark night of the soul, and it feels like like that. But I but I instead of despair, what I'm personally feeling is um that that inner sense of injustice that that inner longing for justice uh is 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 a way that i connect with with god and Absolutely. Uh, you know we're we're connecting to the heart of god when we rise up and say you know this is this is wrong yeah and i think as christians uh ought to be leading the way in this you know because we're now uh, there's these it's, it's it's suddenly become political like black lives matter no uh, white lives matter no blue lives matter all lives matter like no christians have always been saying all lives matter you know and, mm. and I, I like to quote brian zond uh he's a good friend great writer i don't know if you know brian but uh, he just had a sentence that stood out to me i think he tweeted this sometime in the last year but it just said there's no them there's only us right. there's no right. them and christians right. have always done that in Christ, there's well, no Greek, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, male, female. I mean, Paul was saying that 2,000 years ago, that we're, we're yeah. one. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, um, yeah, I, I th- I'm trying to find words because th- this is a hard subject. Uh, definitely yeah. followers of Jesus have always known that. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure that all of us who have called ourselves Christians have, have always embodied this well. Yeah, but if yeah. but if we're gonna follow Jesus, then absolutely. And 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 to go back to what you were saying about when our, uh, you know, so often people actually leave faith because they say there's just too much ju- injustice in the world. I can't believe in God. But the truth is, where does that instinct for justice come from? Uh, right. There's a great um, Frederick Beekner quote where he says something about like we when we uh, decry injustice in the world, instead of just going, well, I guess that's just the way the cookie crumbles, you know, because there's always been injustice. There's always been pain. When something inside of us goes, no, this isn't right. That is like one of the greatest proofs we actually have for a just God, because where else does it come from? Why don't we just go, well, I guess that's the way it is. Right. So that's, that's the first thing is that when, when somebody says, I just cannot stand the injustice in the world, I want to say to them, that's, that's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit alive in you. Like even with, you know, that's, uh, which is what you were saying too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But then I think, I think if if we pay attention to those three groans, you know, first of all, the groan of all creation, I think it's really important in a time like this, when we're trying to figure out, okay, what does it mean to act for racial justice? It's, we can't do everything. And that, and so we can become very paralyzed. And so one thing is uh, important is as we're listening to the groans of creation, uh, and this is something Trevor helped me with, what, what groans are the loudest to me? You know, is it, is it the groans of those who are suffering from, from, uh, poverty? Is it the groans of those who are suffering from loneliness? Is it the groans of those who are suffering from systemic oppression? Pay attention to the groans that are the loudest, and that will be a little light for your path in terms of where you're called at this moment um, to act. Mm. So that that I think that's really helpful. And then the our own groans, um, the most important thing there is just to know that a broken heart is a permeable heart. And um, mm. that Jesus meets us in our in our tears, 
And then the groans of God, the fact that the, that God himself is groaning, that the spirit is interceding with us, um, for us with, with groans, tells us that God is with us in our suffering, that it is impossible to be alone in this. Mm. So I'm really glad for all three groans. Yeah, and I'm so glad you you wrote about it. That's so good. Okay, well, let's, let's uh, close down with one last song, which is Go With God, which I love. But let's go ahead and let our listeners hear Go With God, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. How about that? So, Carolyn, I love that song, and in a minute I'll say another reason why I love that song, but uh, what's the backstory? What, how did that one come to be, and what are you trying to say? So now, we are, now we're about 20 years back. Uh, this was on my third album. We're doing quite a retrospective. Oh, good chronology. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, we'll done. have to have you back um, and do the next, we'll just, you know, Carolyn Aaron's Through the Decades. Yeah, I love it. You bet. You have to come back now. Okay. (laughs) Um, You know, I just, uh, I just wanted to write a blessing. I wanted it to be like an Irish blessing. I'm not Irish, but I always wish I was because they have cool music. (laughs) And um, may the wind rise or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or you know that the um, may the Lord bless and keep you may may make His face shine upon you. Like just something in that in that mode. You know this. The heart of God to bless us is about the beautiful, the most beautiful reality there is. You know, the most beautiful story there is, is that there's a God who longs to bless us. And uh, so that song was my my crack at um, giving voice to that. Well, and it's beautiful. I love the lyrics are so great. I mean, farther than lands you've ever imagined, deeper than even the oceans of blue and open horizon is waiting like morning, waking the dreamer who's living in you. I mean, that's just, uh, yeah, it has that feel of, of pulling you. And that's what I, you're an artist. So you're all, you're, this is poetic. You're opening our imagination to something bigger than us. And then the chorus, you know, go with the, go with the wind at your back and the sun on your face with a song in your heart and the promise of grace. And, and I know you know this, but we are the church where I help lead worship and I preach uh, pretty regularly, Chapel Hill United Methodist Church. We have used this as our benediction for all these years, and we're coming up on our 25th anniversary, so it it wasn't too long into our time together. You must have just written it when we first, it was probably after I first got to know you, now that I'm thinking about it. Just just right around then. Yeah. Yeah, that album came out in 99, so yeah. So yes, we weren't too many years in, yeah, we're five, probably six, seven years into our existence, and and so... uh, I, basically, Carolyn, I'm stuck with you every Sunday. Every <laughs> Sunday. You know, 
knowing that you guys do that has been this little little fire that I can go and warm myself by all these years. <laughs> just knowing knowing that you're there singing it every Sunday. That's just um, every that's Sunday. That's been our benediction. It's really fun. And I think you know, and we tried to Love stop. It. We know for different seasons, like maybe we shouldn't do it during Lent or something. You know, it's, it's so right, happy, right. and people are like, "This isn't church now. If we don't end uh, with that song, I don't feel like I went to church." So it's right. It's right there at the heart of. <laughs> of at least one little community in the world that's using it. I love um, it. But, so thanks for following the lead with that, that uh, yearning to write a benediction yourself. Uh, yeah. and, and it's beautiful and catchy and fun and tap your toes. And so thank you for that. And thank you for all your music and your writing and your work with Renovare, the Renovare Institute, which I taught in for five years. And it was, yeah, I, I mean, know. gosh, it's such an incredible um way to gather people for a deep dive into spiritual formation and how many graduates have been through that program now do you have a number that is a great I'm, question not that you I, need always, a sense with, I always lose track well, what, yeah what i think, community you I know, think how many have, cohorts have you had i think we're in our 11th or 12th I, I i don't know why i can't ever keep this math straight but yeah i think we've started our your 11th. double digits yeah. Yes. And they're typically and around a, 40 a person. So that's right. Yeah. yeah. So we've got to be at, um, uh, I can get you this math, uh, after the fact, but we, ha yeah, we have to be in terms of graduates, um, cause we have two active cohorts right now. So we've got to, we have to be about 400. Yeah. Wow. That's like amazing. That. That's beautiful. And, and yeah, lighting the tails of foxes, although Peter maybe doesn't like that, uh, illustration, but, uh, you know, sending, enlightening the people and sending them out in the world and the change yeah. they make is beautiful. And I got to watch that up and close and personal for several years. So wonderful. Thank you for doing the work you do, the work you've done. And thanks for being my friend through the years. And Thank you, Jim. We're, you know, your contributions to the kingdom uh, are immeasurable. And like I said, we, on, in the Renovar Institute, we always start with you, good and beautiful God. That just is always the place to start. And we'll keep doing such that. A gift to us. So thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we'll have you back. This was fun, 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 fun. Well, I hope you enjoyed this Things Above conversation with Carolyn Aaron's man, I did. She's just fantastic. Her music is great. So it was wonderful just to hear the backstories and dig a little deeper in her writings as well as her songs. Well, I hope you'll join me for our next episode. And until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast at apprenticeinstitute.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with a friend and you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above. <laughs>